Quickly, 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 just before we crack on, big shout out to Luke1977. If you fancy getting yourself some nice new gear for school, college, work, uni, whatever it is, go and use the code MAX20 over at Luke to get yourself a nice, lovely 20% off. Can't complain with that. Go and use the code MAX20 over at Luke. Right, hello and welcome back to another Villa on Tour podcast. I'm your host, Max Stokes, as ever, joined by Simon Lyon. Simon, how are you, mate? All good? Yeah, I'm good. Not too bad, thank you. What a day Saturday was then. We are recording this on Sunday afternoon. Um, we're literally coming off the back of watching the Brighton game. So we're a little bit disheartened having watching that. Brighton, it looks like they're gone, doesn't it? It kind of feels like now. Saturday looks massive, that result, because it kind of looks like it's a straight-up shootout now between us and Tottenham, doesn't it? Yeah, probably. It looks that way. And I think um, we went into watching the Arsenal-Brighton game today hoping that um, you know Brighton would lose. But And I know that they've got a really tough running, but I think you know the likelihood of them losing all their matches um, in terms of mm. against the likes of Arsenal, Newcastle, City... I feel like it was kind of a little bit unrealistic. You expect them to pick something up in, in one of them games. Because to be fair to Brighton, they've been so good, haven't they? And as it happens, it's come today. And, you know, I mean, the thing is, you can see them going to Newcastle and probably losing and losing to Man City in the other one. But because they've got the win today, it, it does kind, kind of take them away from us a little bit, really. And so, yeah, feels like it'll be a, a bit of a, a straight shootout. A tough shootout, really, because obviously on paper, Spurs have got, easier fixtures than we have while it's there as an aim it's sort of achievable isn't it and so that that and that's the sort of mindset we've got to go into we need to try and win the final two games of the season and, and see where we end up yeah very annoying watching Brighton but they deserve it they were brilliant today against Arsenal and if they get it which they look looks like they will they'll deserve European football so good on them but Tottenham yesterday they weren't great at all but of course we'll come on to that in a little bit we're a little bit tender today aren't we a little bit tender Saturday night we're out on Broad Street at uh, Her Game 2 event which is if you've never heard of Her Game 2 it's like a, a gender equality sort of group um, in football, which was it was a really good event, wasn't it? It was hosted by Michelle Owen from Sky Sports. We were doing shots with her, which was a bit random. You went out afterwards to uh, Albert Schloss in town, didn't you? You saw Adil Ray, someone from Love Actually as well, and a uh, random Villa footballer. Who was that? Uh, it was uh, it was Curtis Davis, if anybody remembers him. Uh, <laughs> Martin Larson's partner in the, what was it, the 2008 sort of season. Um, yeah, really random, really random night. No, it, was, it, it was a really good night, but yeah, I went on to Albert Schlush and it felt like it was like the... Um, the sort of celebrity tour of Birmingham sort of thing, really. So, yeah, it's a bit of a baffling one. A little bit little bit tender today. Um, haven't done a fat lot today because uh, because of last <laughs> night, if I'm being honest. But, uh, no, it was good. It was a really good night. No, good on you. Big shout-out to her game, too, as well. It was a really good event, and they're a good group as well. Really, really good group. Coming up in this podcast, then, we'll discuss that vintage day at Villa Park and our experience from the stands. Before we do that, though, please do go and check out the uh, Villa on Tour video on YouTube of Saturday's game against Tottenham. Really good atmosphere. The sun was shining at Villa Park. Such a good day. So if you haven't already checked out that video, go and do that. Subscribe to the podcast, of course, as well. Whatever you're listening on, Spotify, Apple, do subscribe so you never miss an episode. Come out uh, bright and early on every Monday, so never miss an episode, please. Like I said then, it was another vintage afternoon, wasn't it, on Saturday, in the week that you've seen the anniversaries of the couple of Albion games in the playoffs, those are four years ago this week, kind of feels like this game was kind of up there, wasn't it, it was just one of them special days at Villa Park, the sun was shining, just a top quality afternoon, wasn't it, all in all? Yeah, it was a, it was a big game and I think everybody knew that and the fans 
sort of went to Villa Park with probably not an expectation, but they went to Villa Park with you know the thoughts that they need to really get behind the team, and uh, and that's exactly what happened. It was a really good atmosphere from the get go, wasn't it? And uh, and and as Villa, you know, have, have been good at this season, you know, we started the game, you know, fast out the blocks, didn't we? Which Again, it pumped the supporters up even more. But yeah, it was. Uh, it felt like a really, yeah, it felt like a really important day. I suppose. Um, mm. Whatever happens, you know, between now and the end of the season, it felt like a really important day because, you know, if we'd have lost yesterday, then you know our European aspirations for this season anyway would probably have been over. Yeah, absolutely. I said in the video that it was it was absolutely do or die. We couldn't afford to draw. We absolutely have to win that game, and we did. So that was all good. I felt a bit. I felt a bit nervy but confident going into the game. You messaged me on the morning saying you were nervous. So I kind of got, got the vibe from you that you weren't confident going into the game. But I always fancy us at Villa Park in big games where, especially like in recent years, when we have to get over the line, I always fancy us at Villa Park. Yeah, and I suppose that's me. Like that, That's probably me sort of thinking back to the Villa of old, really. Not the Villa under Unai yeah. Emery when, you know, like teams <laughs> like Spurs used to turn up to Villa Park and... You know what it was like. Just wipe the floor of us, and Harry Kane used to score a hat trick, or Son used to, you know, have an absolute his best game of the season, or something, and score and mm. score a hat trick or something. And yeah, I don't know what I don't know. It was just I think it's that. I I think it might take a little bit of time for uh, for me to get used to that. You know, we go to Villa Park, and teams probably don't actually like coming to play us at Villa Park. I wasn't massively confident. Obviously, we came off the back of two defeats at United and Wolves, and we weren't terrible in them two games, but we probably didn't do enough to you know, win either of those games either. And so um, it was a little bit of that as well, a little bit of thinking, you know, are we going to create enough to sort of win the game today or have we sort of run out of steam a little bit? And I, and I was totally wrong. And, I, and I'm really, really glad I was wrong because we came to the game and we, like I say, very quick out of the blocks. And throughout the whole game, really, we, we, we controlled it, didn't we? We controlled the whole game. And we, we set, you know, we, 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 did, we dictated the play. We set that tempo ourselves. And yeah, it felt like a really sort of controlled performance performance by us yesterday which was it was really nice to see after especially after the last two defeats obviously there was loads of stats going around before the game wasn't there I think we hadn't beaten Spurs at home uh, since 2008 New Year's Day 2008 which was absolutely ages ago Spurs had won on their last eight visits to Villa Park by an aggregate score of 23-3 that's horrific. It's not like Spurs are this like super team that have been, you know, dominant for years and years and years. Like a lot of the time, they've been sort of similar to us as well. So that record was was horrific. So it's nice to get one over on that. And I got there quite early yesterday at Villa Park, and I don't normally do that because all the trains were messed up and stuff like that. Um, went to the fan zone just outside the Trinity. I, I don't normally hang around around there, but it's it's a decent little area, isn't it? Live music, um, places to get plenty of food, beers. Obviously, I've already said the weather was fantastic. Plenty of people saying hello, saying they love the podcast and things like that. It's a nice little area that just outside the trinity isn't it yeah it's good and any anything like that we can we can do at villa parts you know to get fans there a bit earlier or i mean they don't do it after the game but i mean you know even even if they could create something where fans stay after the game and and, and that's not costing you 25 quid each time sort of thing it would be you know it would be absolutely ideal wouldn't it but but yeah no it was um it's yeah it, it was really like bu- buzzing around there yesterday though, wasn't it like, i think i said to you like i think that was the busiest i'd seen it it was a, it was a nice way to start the day wasn't it yeah you got plenty of people on the video as well it was really nice to see everyone and there was a couple of swedish like young lads as well that were very excited to see me and say hello and get on the video so that was always really nice i really do appreciate stuff like that um let's get into the game then team news there was one change bailey in for troy or ray slightly surprising we talked about injuries coming back cash kamara coutinho was nowhere to be seen picking up another injury again i probably expected one of cash or kamara to come in but it didn't didn't play out that way not that it really mattered but only one change in the end yeah i i expected bailey to come in if i'm being honest um i did expect him i thought i thought to be fair even though he was he was a you know his, his usual frustrating self i thought he looked fairly 
sharp-ish when he came off the bench at Wolves and he, he looked a lot you know, more more in the game than Traore was. And so I wasn't too surprised with Bailey. And I think he always seems to play better at Villa Park as well. He always seems to come up with that assist mm. or uh, yeah. the chance of that goal. And so I wasn't surprised to him come in. But um, yeah, I think you're right. I expected probably Kamara to come in, which obviously he didn't. Uh, maybe he wasn't. 100% fit to start. He's been out for a little while, remember, so that's probably what it was. And then with Cash as well, Cash only came back into training sort of, you know, like this week, just gone, didn't he? So again, they probably wanted to ease him in because Cash has been out for quite a while as well, really. He was, he, he was injured on international duty, wasn't he, back in March? So yeah. that's been quite a while as well. So no, it was really good to see them back, but um, but yeah, just, just the one change. But And I was a little bit, I was a little bit, I've got to be honest, I was a little bit concerned by that. I looked at it, I thought, oh, I felt like we really needed Kamara, but it didn't work out that way, really. We, we we still dominated that midfield with or without Kamara. Yeah, I sort of had the similar sense that I just just wanted to freshen it up a little bit. But I think there's also an element of Emery saying, right, it's the same sort of team as last week. Go and prove me wrong. Go and sort yourselves out. Put, in a, put up a performance because Wolves probably wasn't good enough. Lost that game. Go and prove yourselves right and get over the line. And we did. Coutinho's a strange one, isn't it? I've got the vibe. We're not going to see him again, you know. I, th- I think it's pretty obvious he might be off in the summer. But that injury that he sustained in training when he was literally like coming back he was on the bench for Wolves I've just got a vibe we're not going to see him again yeah I totally agree with you I was having a conversation with somebody in the ground yesterday actually and they were asking what would you do with Coutinho um, and I said I don't think he's I don't think he's fancied to be honest by Emery either I mean since Emery's come in how many games has he actually started I think it must only be like one or two you know and uh, I know he's had injuries um, but even without the injuries I'm not convinced Emery and Emery actually wants to play with him I think he he, he prefers the sort of you know, sort of buzzing around, sort of player like 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 Wendy yeah. is. I don't know whether he feels Coutinho goes too missing or whatnot, but I think I think you're right. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him again. To be honest, I mean, in terms of a transfer out, it's hard to think where he would go. I suppose it would only be somewhere in like Brazil, or if it was like some one of you know one of them really rich Chinese clubs or something came in for him, it'd yeah. be something like that, wouldn't it? I mean, you can't see him going anywhere in Europe or still in the Premier League, can you? So I think I think you're right. I think that's I think it's probably the last we've seen of Coutinho, if I'm being honest. Um which is a shame because he's got so much talent, you know, in them boots. We you you, you know he's a good player. Um we saw that against Arsenal, didn't we, the last game he played and he actually scored. Yeah, he was never sort of given that momentum was he never really got going and it would have been interesting to see what happened had he not got injured after the Arsenal game because he was good in that game he was good obviously that was his first goal of the season which is mad in itself but it would have been interesting to see what happened if that if that didn't happen so that's a shame a few people mentioning Carlos potentially starting as well I think whilst we're fully in the race for Europe I don't think we're going to see him I think if we were out of it completely you probably would have done just to see him get some game time but whilst we're still in the race you're probably not going to see Carlos are you no, I mean they're not. They're not going to. They're not going to disrupt. Um, you know, a, a solid back two in Mings and Conzo, and they have been very, very solid, haven't they, in recent months? And so you're not going to disrupt them too to bring Carlos back in at the moment, even though we know what a good player Carlos is, and um, you know, you know, for the future, future wise, I'm sure we'll play a very big part for Villa. But um, yeah, I think at this stage we're still fighting for Europe, um, and Mings and Conzo are in good form still together. I, I, I don't think we'll. I don't think we'll see him starting games anyway. On to Tottenham then, playing three at the back. I said in the video, they're soft, aren't they? I think they've got a bit of firepower going forward. Son hasn't got going. Richarlison obviously hasn't got going this season. Kane, obviously a threat always. But just, I thought, I constantly thought at the back, they can 100% be got at. And I kept using that word soft. I think we've seen it in the last couple of weeks. They got battered at Newcastle. Even, you know, great comeback at Liverpool. But then to throw it away 20 seconds later, sort of sums them up, doesn't it, Tottenham? And I always kind of felt we can get at them today. 
I think for me, their main issue was that was their wing-backs just awful. I mean, every time Villa played it out from the back, like Ashley Young and Moreno seemed to have so much room like, to get on the ball, like, to bring the ball out. And it felt easy yesterday for Villa to bring the ball out. I mean, other teams have, yeah. have made it difficult in recent weeks. Like United and Wolves made that a little bit more difficult for us to do. And um, even Fulham at Villa Park made it a little bit more difficult. But Spurs, I don't know, they gave us so much room to pass it out. I found, I found that really strange. And then... In terms of defending, the wing-backs defending, well, again, they were just totally missing, missing in action, really, because, again, so much of our good play came down the wings. Um, Attacking-wise, I think they've got, obviously, they've got good players, absolutely, but I just think defensively, they've got, like I say, the wing-backs, and then the centre-halves as well just look really, really poor as well. And it's, not, it's no surprise they're letting in the goals that they do. I think Forster can be got out as well. Like I, I was quite excited to see him on the team sheet because when Nick Pope and Newcastle came to Villa Park, I really wasn't convinced by him. I think he's a huge, huge presence, but can't get down. And we'll come on to it, but that Louise free kick, we'll talk about Forster in a little bit. But again, that was a point where I thought we can get at them today. We'll talk about the um, the strange, slightly strange team announcement. I was having a, a free pint courtesy of Christian Perslow in the, the whole end uh, survey. They gave out free uh, pint vouchers, which you weren't able to get a pint, actually. You're only able to get a can of Heineken or Strongbow which wasn't even a full pint so that was a little bit weird but you know we'll move on from that what was that strange team sheet uh, announcement then in Villa Park because I didn't hear that what was that all about it was just before kickoff and he was reading the team news out and he gave like a little like like a little line about each player so for instance he was like number one <laughs> our World Cup winning goalkeeper Emmy Martinez and then it got to like Bailey and it was like our reggae boy Leon Bailey and it was it was it, yeah it was a uh, <laughs> It was a bit. That's awesome. It was a bit weird, to be honest with you. I don't. I don't know whether it was a bit of an experiment that didn't quite go right or something. But <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if that doesn't come back. Cause like they were going down the list, and I was thinking, what they're going to say for this one? And like it got worse as they went down. Like I was thinking, please oh, don't read it. Running out of ideas. Yeah, please don't read it out for the substitutions. That's all I was thinking because I was thinking, like, what are you going to say for like Olsen or like Dendonka or, or Chambers? Oh or god, don't imagine. Like <laughs> I just thought, imagine what was happening if like Chambers had been starting or Dendonka. What would you? What would you assess? Like, it was all a bit. No, that's bizarre. Yeah, it was all a bit strange. But yeah, the further on the list they they went down, it just got a bit. It got a bit. Yeah, scraping the barrel, so to speak, really. So yeah, well, they tried something new, and I I appreciate them trying something new. But uh, whether they'll carry on doing it, who knows? Yeah, do you know what? Something new. I don't mind that. I don't mind that. Something else that was new as well. I was coming up to my seat, and I saw on the floor in the, in the concourse four big boxes of claret and blue streamers. So I took four or five. I was like, okay, this is decent. Because I know uh, Project B6 were trying to get something going at Villa Park as well, and they had loads of flags in the, the lower hole and things like that. So I thought, right, okay, I'll get involved. And as kickoff came, obviously I'm in the hole, so it would have looked a little bit different from where you were sat in the upper north. It was fantastic, mate. I love things like that. I absolutely love it. Like it, it doesn't take a lot, does it? And it just creates that that atmosphere, and it, it looks fantastic. It was great, yeah. And from where I was sitting, it was it was really good. And the flags that I had in the lower holes as well, that looked really good. And I mean, I know Project B mm. six, you know, they only managed to sort out the fifty for yesterday's game, which is a bit of a tight turnaround. But you know, if we could like multiply that, and you know, really get really get a lot in that whole tent and together with the streamers and stuff, it just looks better. And I, I think it creates a bit of an atmosphere as well. And I know that people say, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't. It's just a another added thing, which we don't need to do. But I disagree. I really disagree. I think it does help the atmosphere. And um, it was good. I just thought it was really good Good to see all them flags flying and the streamers coming down. I thought it was really, really good. So, yeah, fair play to Project B6 because I think they are taking a little bit of stick for it um, for some reason. I don't know why. Um, and and at the end of the day, they're trying to improve They're trying to improve the atmosphere at Villa Park and they don't exactly, you know, they're not exactly getting paid for it or 
you know they don't have mm. to do it um but they're mm. they're trying to help all of us aren't they by improving the atmosphere at villa park which in turn will probably help the team as well so i liked it i thought it was really good um and anything that's going to help the atmosphere i'm all for even if you know the players come out the tunnel and they see that even if it gives them that extra five percent it's all you need isn't it like fair play it looks class and big up project basics as well they, they fundraise themselves fans chip in it's a great thing they've got going on at project basics big up to them and hopefully it's just the start because you've seen like prototypes they're putting out on twitter and like these these big tifos and like can you imagine us getting into europe and seeing that on a big european night the, the brilliant tifos coming out at the whole end we saw a sort of taster for it didn't we was it crystal palace we played on the anniversary of the european cup yeah. and they had that massive european cup come down from the holds that looked fantastic and you know if we can sort of fundraise ourselves to do things like that like i said give the players the extra five percent and it looks brilliant and it like you said as well helps out the atmosphere it's great i really like it i do yeah absolutely like i say anything that's going to help out why wouldn't we do it absolutely and mm. it's good to have a group around who, who who is putting the time in to do that because you know you've got to remember this isn't they're not making anything from it this is literally their yeah. they're putting to, you know their own spare time into this essentially to try and to try and help out and um, yeah as you say it's all it's all based on fundraising and so absolutely I think yeah a massive shout out to Project B6 because I thought it looked good yesterday and more of that yeah absolutely the atmosphere was electric all day and it was it was so crucial to sort of carry in the team wasn't it I think after the the Louise goal in that second half it was probably the loudest la 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 I've ever heard in my life at Villa Park it was absolutely brilliant I've seen on Twitter people getting um, alerts on like their Apple watches like an alert for volume saying it was too loud and stuff like that it was just absolutely brilliant and again it was it was just one of them days at Villa Park where the atmosphere was incredible Like I say, the fans were fired up from it from minute one, um, and then obviously the, the 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 team helped out with that by scoring quite early on and making a very quick start to the match as um, as we often do at Villa Park, and uh, and then that just carried on throughout the day, really, didn't it? You know, every every tackle won, the fans were you know really behind, yeah. and it was just good, wasn't it? And even there was none of this like getting worried about when the ball was being played back to the goalkeeper and through the you know through mm. the defence, and that's the other thing. I think the the Villa Park crowd deserves. Credit because I remember talking on this podcast only a few months ago how you know we were frustrated with how people we used to keep shouting kick the ball and get it up the field and 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 how like worried they were getting when we were passing it back. But I feel like that's kind of gone now, you know. I really do, and I noticed now mm-hmm. at Villa Park when we do like say if we do pass it back to Martinez and it's been like a they've worked it nicely back to the goalkeeper. There's like a ripple of applause, I and mean, you think, blimey, that yeah. wouldn't have happened. Um, you know, it, it, it wouldn't have happened months ago. I think the one thing I would say, and you, this might not come across from where you were sitting, obviously I'm by the away fans. Yeah, you know, I appreciate all supporters, um, all, all all club supporters can have their say about what's going on at the club. But the away support yesterday, by the way, I mean, I'm not saying it was quiet; it was fairly loud at times, but. It was just toxic from minute one. I mean, like literally after a couple of minutes, they were singing Levy out straight away and there was arms flung in the air and they were booing. And this was while it was like, like they were one nil down. And I and I, I said to my brother, I said, the thing is, they've come, they've come away to a side that's only three points below them. It's not like they're, you know, they should be expecting to walk, you know, walk this game yeah. easy, three, four nil. It was, it was, it was weird. And, and it was like that throughout the whole game. They had like a little sort of 10 minute burst, you know, when they sort of got a little bit of control in the second half. 
headphones. Mm. That's the only real time you heard them actually singing any actual Tottenham songs or actually getting behind the team. Because apart from that, they were, like I say, trying to get the team to get the ball at the field quicker and booing when they had the ball and uh, screaming for Levy's head. And I was, it, it baffled me, to be honest with you. And like I say, I know every club's fans can have their opinion. They've got the right to, you know, chant and criticise their, their owners and the manager. Of course they have. But I just thought it was really hard. The timing of it, essentially. And it, like I say, it weren't like they were 3-4-0 mm. down. It was. It just felt really strange. And I feel like it played into our hands a little bit, though. I think the, feel like the Villa fans yeah. fed off it a bit, especially the ones in the North stand, because, you know, they could all they, they could see they were getting all frustrated. And then Villa fans just responded, getting behind the team. And so I feel like that played into our hands a little bit as well yesterday. I know they've had a bit of a turbulent season, Tottenham, but what you were saying about the fans there it absolutely reflected onto the players, didn't it? And that, that sort of energy that the fans were giving there, like toxicity and things like that, absolutely reflected onto the players. Like the body language, I said to my mate, I was sat next to you yesterday, like the body language of the Spurs players. Like, for example, when it goes out for a goal kick and Son and Kane are like arguing with each other and their heads go down and they're just jogging off, they just didn't want it yesterday, did they? And you're thinking, you know, from a Tottenham point of view, they're going into the game, they were sixth against a team away who've won their last five games at Villa Park without conceding a goal. It's going to be a tough game. It's not going to be an easy afternoon for Tottenham. And they're rocking up. And it was it was all it was all a little bit strange, wasn't it? And a point would have been fine for Tottenham yesterday. A point would have been fine. And Villa just wanted it more. I kind of, Tottenham just, just weren't really arsed. I was, I was a little bit surprised about that. And I saw, you know, Tottenham fans before the game on social media, they weren't confident. And it kind of feels like they just can't wait for the season to be over at Tottenham. I think they're I think they're a team in massive transition, aren't they? And I said this to you only a couple of weeks ago that I think cross, uh, I think Spurs are at a real sort of crossroads for me in that they need if they want to be challenging realistically for top four again, they need to make four, five, six genuine, real, real quality signings, and that's going to cost them a lot of money, which they probably won't spend. Um, and then they've got this issue with Harry Kane. You know, it doesn't look like he's going to sign a new deal. And no. do they do they sell him? Do they cash in on him? But then, I think I said to you, can they afford to, though? I mean, with all what's going on in regards to the supporters not being happy anyway, if they sold Harry Kane, imagine how the supporters would be then. Yeah. I, I feel like they're at like a real sort of junction spurs. I really do. And um, it feels like they're heading down you know, the path of where they could end up having a few seasons when they're they're sort of, you know, sort of mid-table side again, like like it was years ago. I mean, when I I first started watching Villa, Villa were always, you know, sort of neck and neck with Spurs. Spurs were always that sort of mid-table-ish kind of side, you know, top eight, top nine of the league sort of side. They've got some good players, but they haven't got... They have How many players would you say in the Spurs team would get into Villa's team? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at their team now, and they went into it yesterday. Forster, Emerson Royale, not a great defender. Ben Davis trying to play mm. wing-back. We've talked about Oliver Skip on this podcast as well before. Okay player, but, but bang average. Yeah. Pedro Porro, who they've brought in for big money in January, hasn't hit the ground running. You look at that squad, especially if they lose Harry Kane. It's, it, they're in they're in trouble, you know. And there's yep. this mentality that they've been fighting for top four every season. It's going to disappear. Well, that's what I mean. That's yeah. It's 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 all well and good, you know. I'm talking about managers and chopping and changing managers, but the reality of why Spurs have been struggling for the last you know year to eighteen months is because their playing stuff's not good enough. Essentially, their squad is not good enough to be where they're 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 expected to be. Um, you know, they've, yeah. like I said, they've got some decent players, but. You know, like like I say, like a Kulaseski or like a Paro or something. They're not they're not bad players. If they're in, it's the sort of thing. If they were at Villa, you'd say, oh yeah, they're they're, they're decent players. Kind of like a Bailey's for Villa. 
you wouldn't say they're absolutely like world class players, would you? So I think yeah, I think Spurs have got a lot of work to do. If I'm being honest, and I think they just look a bit. I don't think they've got an identity at the moment, and and obviously no. that that's because they've gone through how many managers and stuff. But yeah, I mean, even the whole Poro signing, like they, they paid decent money for him. And he's coming. They're playing him at wing back. It just doesn't. He's not mm. a wing back. He's. A, I mean, you can just tell he's not. Um, and I, and it just. Yeah, it just feels all a bit back to front, doesn't it? And they. They obviously they their team revolves around Harry Kane and what he does, and it just all feels a bit. It just doesn't feel like a club that is fighting for those top three or geared up to fight for those top three, four places in the league. It really doesn't. Um, so yeah, a big big job on the hands for, on the hands for whoever takes over at Spurs. I mean. No idea who it's going to be. It sounds like that Nagelsmann's been ruled out now. So I I don't know who Spurs are even going to get, to be honest with you. And that's the thing. You talk about elite managers. And who are Spurs going to appoint, realistically? Who would want to go there? That's the question. Who would want to go into Tottenham? I just think they're at a massive, massive junction. And I think it's good for Villa because obviously Villa are one of these teams that trying to overtake someone like Spurs, really. I suppose Mm. teams like us and Brighton and even the likes of Brentford and Fulham, essentially, will look at Spurs and think, well, that's one of, you know, that that's a team that, that we could possibly overtake. And so it's good news for us. But yeah, just I think I think realities need to be, you know, I think, I think they need to be worked out at Spurs because I think the fans have this ideology that they're going to be challenging for top two, top three every season when the reality on the pitch is very, very different, isn't it? Yeah, they're sort of trudging towards the end of the season, Tottenham. But we'll move on to Villa then. A little bit more positivity. Starting fast at Villa Park again. Going into the game, I was sort of thinking, right, yeah, shoot towards the halt like like we've got a tendency to do this season. But we didn't. Great goal by Ramsey. The Watkins touch is underrated, I think, by the way. Really, really good. Takes a couple of plays out the game. Ramsey gets a little bit of space. Plays out to Bailey. Fair play to Bailey. We haven't seen this a lot, have we? He sort of gets his head down and drives. Uses that right foot again, which we don't see a lot. It's a good finish by Ramsey. Really, really nice goal. You know what? I fancied Bailey one-on-one every, all day, all afternoon, down that right-hand side. I really did. I thought he had the beating um, of the defenders every single time he had the ball. And um, I was sort of screaming. He was like, go on, take him on, take him on. Because it felt like that. He felt like he was going to he was gonna do it on that one-to-one every time. And um, yeah, he was really yeah. good by Bailey and um, a really nice cut back into that area where you're hoping somebody is. And then Ramsey, just fought, he has a knack of being in the right place, doesn't he, Jacob Ramsey? We just found that little bit of space and a really neat finish into the into the, into the the bottom of the net. And um, yeah, it was, it was a great start, wasn't it? A really, really high, high intensity sort of start from us again, which, like I say, gets the crowd on side. But yeah, I was, and I was really pleased. I was pleased with Bailey, really, as well. I was just, you know, I know he's had a lot of stick and stuff, but... But I was really pleased that you know he came back into the side and the uh, and the you know and he delivered for us. Yeah, absolutely set the tone for the afternoon. Brilliant from Bailey, and it's nice to see Jacob Ramsey score again. Might be a little bit harsh, but he's been inconsistent of late. Six Premier League goals last season. That's five for this season. Not too bad, is it? I, I like it when JJ gets on the score sheet. Really, really nice. And I think he's sort of one of these players going forward that you want to rely on to sort of chip in with eight, nine, potentially double figures every season in terms of goals. I think he's he's on route to doing that because you're right, though. He's always sort of in the right position. That goal against Newcastle springs to mind. Could have had another one against Newcastle where he hit the bar. He's always round and about, isn't he? He's always nice to sort of have there arriving late. He is, yeah. And I think him adding to, you know, him adding to Villa's goal sort of charts, along with the other players, the other midfield players, is really important, actually, because... We can't. We I think we I feel like we over rely on Ollie Watkins. If I'm being honest, you know we mm. we don't share the goals around all all that often, really. And so, you know, when Watkins goes through a spell where like he has at least he's on at the moment, when he doesn't score for four or five games, then you're sort of relying on the other players who don't contribute that often. And so, for us to have a game yesterday where we get two of our midfielders on the score sheet is um yeah is really really sort of welcome. And yeah, he does. He gets himself into those like you know tight neat little positions, doesn't he, Ramsey? And um. 
Yeah, I mean, he's a big player for us. He's you know he's still very young, and that's why you know sometimes he's a little bit inconsistent. But um, yeah, he's got it in him. He's got it in his locker definitely to get eight to ten goals a season without a doubt. Um, obviously, he had that injury which set him back this season. Um, yeah, but yeah, he's a big player for us, and yeah, I was, re- I was really pleased to see him on the score sheet. A couple of things I noticed on that goal. Uh, I've noticed it before, but Unai Emery high fives every player and every staff member on the bench. It's just them like little things, isn't it? I, I love that. Did you notice that? I did. Yeah, I, I, yeah, he does that every single week, and I think I love you know that. it links into his comments about how um, I, well, I heard a question asked to him yesterday um, when they said. How have, you, how have you done this? How have you turned this around at the club? And he was talking about a lot of practice and a lot of hard work from the players, he was saying, and, you know, using my experiences from uh, previous and, uh, you know, giving that to the players. But then he mentioned about how, you know, creating a small family, he said, within the club and, you know, everyone working for each other and everyone pulling in the same direction. And I think I think that's, I think that's how he is, Emery. You know, he includes every player, doesn't he? And he doesn't free his players out. He includes every player, and he's like, right, you, you know, you're going to contribute this to, uh, to us. And and I think that's what it is. I think even all the all the players on the bench still feel a massive part of it. Which sometimes, as a manager, it's difficult to do that. It's really difficult to keep everybody happy in the squad. But it feels like everybody is happy at the moment. It feels like everyone's really singing off the same hymn sheet and just little touches like that, celebrating the goal with all your coaching staff and the physios and all your subs. I mean, yeah, it's just nice to see, isn't it? It's sort of the polar opposite to what we've just been talking about with Tottenham. Everybody's pulling in the same direction. You're right, everyone's involved. I just love that. And all the passion from the players as well. McGinn absolutely loving after that first goal and everybody running over to the corner and the passion. Absolutely fantastic. Just after that, then Son has that chance, doesn't he? One-on-one where Kane slips him through. It's this rule where the lino waits. I, I understand the rule, I do. But it's when it's not even close, that's where I, I get annoyed. And it said it all where both sets of players and both sets of fans were just so angry at that decision. Like, what is the point of linesmen if when it's not even close, they don't put the flag up? Like, you know, you can still flag for offside. And I get that happened a lot yesterday because we were playing the high line and that's what Tottenham were trying to exploit, especially with Son and his pace. But the amount of times that happened yesterday, and especially that one in the first half where Son should score, he goes around the goalkeeper, Martinez does well, then Kane has a shot and then we clear it and then eventually the flag goes up. So frustrating, that is. Well, I think that was the worst one, though, because it was miles offside, though. It wasn't even close. It was. And it's like, you know, if it's close, I can understand it more, to be honest. If, you know, if it's, if it's like a hair, you know, if it's like hairline sort of thing, you can, you can kind of understand it. But it was miles offside. Every single person within that stadium knew it was offside. And for it to go on as long as it did, it was. I just find it stupid. I know that, I know the linesman was signalling it to say, I can't think about it. This is, these are the rules. This is, what, this is what I've got to do. And I, I respect that. I get it. They need to look at that, though, don't they? In terms of a rule, they need to look yeah. at that because it doesn't make sense. It really, really doesn't make sense at, at all. And you know, we, I, I always think about it. You know, we keep talking about There's been a lot of emphasis in the media recently about how much the ball's in play and how much the ball isn't in play. Yeah, well, yeah. that's ridiculous, isn't it, as well? Like, you think about it. You, you're playing on for another 30-odd seconds for absolutely no reason, essentially, when someone's absolutely miles offside. It it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. I understand it when it's really tight, of course, but... Like I say, he was miles offside some was on that one yesterday. And, um, but I've got to say, his finish was absolutely terrible. How long he had? I can't believe. I know Martinez did well. <laughs> I mean, he shouldn't. Martinez shouldn't have been getting a chance at that one. It was absolutely horrendous. Miss from Son. I know, cause I know, um, I know he was offside, but at, at that point, he wasn't, I suppose. And then 
nobody, uh, well, everyone did know, but it obviously hadn't been confirmed at that point. So, yeah, it was a terrible, terrible finish. But I was going to say it was a letter, but it wasn't a letter because it was absolutely massively offside. <laughs> offside. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that stat that you mentioned there about like how often during a game the ball's in play, I want people to, people listening now, sort of get a figure in your head. What percentage of the 90 minutes do you think um, the ball is actually in play in a Villa match? I think, you know, they did a stat of all the Premier League teams and like who had the highest and who had the lowest. I think Villa were one of the lowest, weren't they? I think percentage-wise, is it just over half? It was like 54% or something wild like that. That's mad, you know. Mm. <laughs> Even when you talk about things like season tickets and how much we're paying and stuff, when you're only seeing like 50 minutes of football, that blew my mind. That was that was crazy, that was. Yeah, but then you get stupid rules like that where you are waste, constantly wasting time and then you've got other, yeah. other issues like I was really annoyed last week by the referees constant talking to the players all the time and yeah. stopping play because he wanted to go and talk to the goalkeeper. And then at the end of the game, we only had three minutes added on. Which was ridiculous, and it's stuff like that. It's like just cut that out, and you'll get more more time back to actually watch the football match. Um, so it's definitely something I need to look at. Really bizarre. That first half was fantastic, though, wasn't it? We were really, really strong. Set the tone for the afternoon. Absolutely all over Spurs. I saw the stats on the first half. Spurs didn't have a shot. We were absolutely dominating them. McGinn. He he was, I think, probably the best game in a Villa shirt. And, you know, he's had some unbelievable games in the last couple of months. Just everything about him, man of the match by an absolute mile, turning quickly on the spot, tackling, being able to beat a man, his pace as well. Um, the only thing I could probably, you know, throw it in was his shooting. I think he only had one shot, didn't he? And he absolutely sliced it. But what an afternoon he has. He is running out of things to say with John McGinn. He is pound for pound the best signing I've ever seen for Aston Villa. He had a, a monstrous afternoon, didn't he? Yeah, he he was he epitomised the whole the whole game for Villa and every everything Villa did well essentially came through him. I mean, he's winning the ball back and spraying it out to you know the wingers or or getting us on the charge again, getting us moving or winning a defensive a great defensive tackle. And, and I think you're right. I think it was like all round. I think it was probably his best display in a Villa shirt. I mean, especially since we've got back to the Premier League. I, I just think he's gone up the, through, the, he's moved through, moving through the gears under Emery's and he just looks yeah. phenomenal and he looks a lot fitter as well to me though. Like he can constantly keep running through brick walls all the time and um, you know the John McGinn of old, like you know, if he used to get tired he used to bring players down, didn't he, quite a lot and I feel like that's <laughs> totally gone from him. I feel like he looks like a totally different player. It's the player that was playing under Steven Gerrard, he just looks like a totally different player. I mean, we were questioning his... Um, leadership qualities weren't we saying oh I don't know if he's a captain material and you know how can we give the captaincy to somebody who's not in the team every week or somebody who's not a guaranteed starter but at the moment John McGinn's the first name on the team sheet isn't he at the moment it's just he's just phenomenal he's an absolute machine and wherever you play him he's involved you know we've seen him play in a variety of positions this morning this season sort of in the middle out wide even towards the end of the game it sort of felt like he went up front yesterday when Watkins went off and Duran came on it's very very strange like the bloke is an absolute absolute machine and he sort of leveled up with Villa obviously coming in in the championship and sort of coming up through the ranks and I just, I just he's just a joy to watch and you know everybody's given a bit of stick to McGinn over the last couple of years especially under Gerrard really really poor and you know you're allowed to change your opinion and he's he's shut a lot of people up John McGinn he's he's been absolutely incredible so big shout out to him absolutely incredible yesterday I thought Louise was great as well Buendia we were sort of hunting in packs weren't yeah. we? we were winning the ball quite high up the pitch mm-hmm. on, a, on a multitude of occasions and probably should have just scored, scored a couple of more I know Buendia hit the bar as well uh, Fraser Forster made a couple of saves but just just brilliant yesterday weren't we winning the ball back and pressure just just everything was fantastic we were and I just don't think Spurs could handle us if I'm being honest I think Spurs really really struggled to 
to work out how we were playing and how to sort of stop us from playing. Uh, I, that's how it felt yesterday. It just felt like they had no real answer to it. I, I don't think they were. I don't think they were particularly bad or whatever. I think we were just very, very strong, very, very good. Mm. Um, and I think Spurs, yeah, struggled, struggled to match us on the day. They had a slightly better second half, didn't they? I think we were messing around with it at the back, and it's probably the first time in a long time I, I can remember that we we sort of got caught out from playing out from the back. Kane should score us, and it's an excellent save by Martinez. He, he absolutely re. Kane to a T, doesn't it? Yeah. It's absolutely brilliant. And it's probably like the, the first clear-cut chance that they had all day. And fair play, Martinez. He, he sort of keep, keeps us in it there, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, like Kane tried to give him the, like, the eyes, didn't he? He tried to you know, trick him out of it. And Martinez was like, nah, I know exactly what you're doing now. <laughs> um, and it was, a, it was a great save. Absolute great save. Yeah. A point-blank save. It was brilliant. We got off. We, we, we did get lucky on that one. I mean, we were we were dawdling about it, weren't we? And, um, and yeah, Louise didn't realise... Didn't realise uh, Hoiberg was, was behind him, and um, and yeah, and that's what happened. But now, top save, and uh, that's why you have uh, such a top goalkeeper, isn't it? Essentially, well, there you go. The second goal in this game was always going to be massive. Villa do get it, free kick on the edge of the box. Feels like we don't score a lot of free kicks, doesn't it? But that position, it was it was like if you could place a ball on the pitch any position you wanted to have a free kick, you'd put it there, wouldn't you? Like a, a great position. But I don't think it's a very good free kick. You know, I think Forster should save it. He gets a hand to it, but he kind of he kind of just palms it into the goal. It, like if you look at the free kick it's not in the like the right in the top bins or anything like that i'm not taking anything away and i don't like moaning it's just an observation like it's not even that very good of a free kick is it really no it's not no it's not definitely not but um yeah force the starting position wasn't great was it did you notice the camera angle of martinez doing his usual as well when he's he was like no he was, he was like he was like standing towards like the right i think he did it against manu in emery's first game when yeah. Dean took the free kick he was standing on the right hand side towards like the halfway line and he was sort of he was sort of signalling up towards up towards the uh, you know towards where the free kick was being taken as if I, I don't know what he was trying to do whether he was trying to tell the keeper where Louise was going to go or whether he was I don't know what he was doing but he was sort of pointing and sort of looked like he was making things all a bit more confusing um, yeah and then obviously the goal came and uh, but yeah not a great starting position was it and it always, it always makes me laugh you know this new uh, this new trend that all the teams have now, where where that player sort of lies on the floor at the back yeah. of the back of the wall, and it was Bissouma yesterday, and it just just made me laugh. He was literally lying there like he was having a sleep, and then he literally turned his head round, and, and then all the players were celebrating. It just, uh, it just it just made me laugh. But yeah, forced the starting position definitely helped us with that one, and uh, yeah, it was you know what? it was such a, a sigh of relief. Though, I think I think the whole crowd just breathed mm. a massive sigh of relief at that point because as you say, we. We hadn't been as good in the second half as we were in the first. We were a little bit sloppy at times in the second half. Gave the ball away a little bit too much. Um, and Spurs came into it. Obviously, they had the chance with Kane, as we just discussed. The, the second goal was really important. And uh, yeah, it finally, finally came. And I think when that goal went in, everyone sort of the noise volume cranked up and everyone you know could see we were sort of then closing in on the three points. And so, yeah, but it was, it, and it was good to see Louise's passion once he scored as well. All the all the team, yes. all his teammates rushed over to him. And yeah, they just, they just just took that adulation from the Holton, didn't they? And again, Unai Emery and his coaching staff all went absolutely crazy on the side. And I can't wait to see that Unai Emery come actually this week. Uh, I think that'll be, <laughs> I think that'll be top notch because he was really animated on the side yesterday. Yeah, it was a really nice moment, wasn't it? And it was that sort of sigh of relief. And Douglas Louise's celebration was brilliant. He sort of got that passion, doesn't he? I don't know where it's come from, but he's, he's kind of come back in the last couple of weeks. And everything he's sort of saying on social media and and his comments and things like that. I've got a comment here from him actually. It says the atmosphere is crazy. I'm so happy happy to be here and play in Villa Park. It's a dream, really. We believe in Unai Emery and we're happy with him. We want to play in the Europa League. We are training hard.
hard every day for this objective. There's a lot of talk about him in January going to Arsenal, you know, potential this, potential that, people tracking him on the motorway and all this nonsense. Recently signed a new contract since then as well. Sort of feels like he's, he's solidified himself in that midfield, doesn't it? Douglas Luiz. And he, he's come a long way because he came in as such a youngster sort of when we just got promoted and didn't speak the language and, you know, coming in from a foreign country into a struggling side in the Premier League. But again, sort of similar sort of vibe to McGinn. He sort of leveled up with Villa, hasn't he? And he sort of joined Villa on that journey. And he's he's absolute one of the first names on the team sheet now. He's so crucial in that midfield, isn't he? And he's an absolute joy to watch week in, week out. I think he feels quite grateful to the club, though, for where he's got to with us. And I think, as you say, we gave him an opportunity, really, as a very young 21-year-old coming in from City. And obviously, we were we sort of fought to get him in through his work permit issues. Um, and yeah. then he came in and he was a regular really, wasn't he? Even when he was struggling, he was, we still persevered and stuck with him. And, and a lot of people didn't think he was going to you know, make it really for us you know, all the time. And, um, and I've got to say, at the beginning, I, was, I didn't really understand what Louise was at the beginning. I didn't really understand whether he was yeah, yeah. A, a defence midfielder or whether he should be played more attacking. But he's just found his, he's just found his rhythm, hasn't he? And, um, I mean, even, even under Gerrard and before that, he, he was playing really well. But I just think of his double pivot under, under Emery. I just think he, he's just excelling, isn't he? And, uh, and I, mean, I think he's another one. I always say, like, Villa, Villa as a club tends to have, like, this knack of having these players that, you know, spend a few years with us, but they end up having Villa in their hearts somehow. Like, I look back at, like, the likes of Martin Larson, who was at Villa Park, actually, yesterday, uh, watching the game, and, and other players like John Carew and Olaf Malberg, and, you know, yeah. players who, they, they had no real affinity with Aston Villa. They had no reason to have an affinity with Aston Villa, really, but they end up, you know, being with us, and they end up just just sort of falling in love with the club. Uh, like, Angel's another one. Like we've got so many throughout history, really. I feel like it's kind of unique about Villa. I feel like we've got quite a lot compared to other clubs. Um, and, it, and it kind of feels like that now, but I think in the team now, we've got these players who we gave the opportunity to, didn't we? Like Tyrone Mings, for instance, he's another one that... He he would probably look at it that Villa sort of rescued his career essentially. I mean, it was it was mm. you know it was going downhill, wasn't it? He'd had all them injuries and he couldn't get into the Bournemouth team. And look at his career trajectory since he's joined Villa. And John McGinn again, you know, gave him the opportunity to come to England and play from Scotland. And how he's now turned Martinez into Martinez as well. Yeah, exactly, Martinez exactly. And I think we've got a whole host of players like this. But I think Louise. I think Louise definitely feels like a sense of gratitude to Villa, and um, I think he just loves it here. And I, and, and I think everyone was surprised when he signed that new deal under Gerard. And I, to be honest, I, I was surprised as well because where Villa were at the time, it was only a few weeks before he got sacked, mm. if you remember. But I think Louise just looked at the bigger picture and thought, you know what, I'm starting week in, week out here. We've got some good players. We just need to, uh, you know, get, get some decent tactics behind us and get a little bit of luck behind us. And this this team can go sort of far and we've got ambitious owners and stuff. And I think he looked at that along with his love for the club and thought, do you know what, I'm sticking around here. And I, I rate that though. I do rate that. I rate it when players don't look for the first opportunity to leave. And um, yeah, I, I think Louise is um, just really key to how Villa, Villa play and how you know, quick he's on the ball and how he shifts the ball and defensively good, offensively quite good as well. And um, yeah, it's just it's just so nice to see him in such good form as well. Yeah, he's developed a lot. And I remember really clearly, I think it was, was it towards the end of 2019 when we just got promoted. We'd only seen Louise, you know, for a couple of months. And me and you had a conversation. And I, I remember us both saying to each other, like, we, we don't really know what he is. Like, we can see there's something there. But 
where does he fit in at Villa? Like you said, is he defensive? He scored a couple of screamers early on in that Premier League, that first Premier League season. Like, is he a attacking midfielder? What what is he? And like yeah. we were all sort of saying, like, oh, you know, he's the sort of player who would thrive in Spain or would thrive in Italy. But fair play to him. He's knuckled down. He's been under a fair few managers at Villa. He sort of found that position, and he's absolutely thriving. And, and, and fair play to him. And I think he's someone who's obviously massively going to benefit from from better players around him. I think you know that addition of Kamara and next to him that season was was so so important but again you can't take away from him personally and him individually how how much he's developed even in this season as a whole he's just an absolute joy to watch Douglas Luiz and and fair play to him I think it's helped that his um his role's been more defined now though I think under Smith and Gerrard it was a bit you know we were playing the one holding player which was Luiz but yeah we often got over- it was all on him wasn't yeah, it yeah we often got overran because of it and then obviously he took the stick because of that but the days of Premier League teams playing only one sort of holding player, they're sort of gone now. If you want to be a really solid team, a lot of teams do play this sort of two. You know, it's quite fluid. I'm not saying they, they always sit to their position. Louise does get forward as well. Uh, so it is quite fluid. But um, I think it's just helped him having that definition of his role. And I think we can all now see what he is. And that that's what we couldn't see. We could all see that he was a, a good player, especially technically a really good player. But we were all sort of wondering, where where does he play? And um, yeah, he's got to that point now of Emery. And um, yeah, I'm absolutely, absolutely delighted for him. One thing I will mention on Louise is that he needs a better song. He's been here what, three years now. He needs a better song. And people, if you watch the video, if you were there at Villa Park over the weekend, you would have heard it. It's pretty basic, isn't it? And I get it. Sort of, you know, it's easy to join in and for the kids to learn and whatever. But um, yeah, we need we need to learn a new song for Douglas Louise. Anyway, at two 0 up, it was we were level on goal difference with Tottenham. Uh, level on goal difference, level on points. They were ahead of us on goal scores. And then I was sort of a little bit disappointed that we let the clean sheet go. And we'll quickly gloss over this penalty incident then. <laughs> Do you want to start? I think we had a slight disagreement in the pub after the game, didn't we? We were sort of saying, you know, similar sort of vibe. But <sighs> what, what do you say? Like, for me, with that penalty, because he didn't give the penalty initially, you can't then spend four minutes sort of listening to VAR and then change your mind. I think if he gives it initially for me, gives that as a penalty, fair enough, point to the spot straight away. I personally don't think there can be too many arguments. Yes, I get the argument that it's it's cute from Harry Kane, it's clever from Harry Kane and he gets there first and he sort of collapses before Martinez even touches him, but he does get there first. But to overturn it and keep using this phrase as clear and obvious, that's not clear and obvious. That, that, that's a disgraceful decision. I think I think there's two elements of it which I've got a little bit of a problem with, and I and I think you know obviously Kane runs onto it, he gets a touch onto it. Martinez doesn't actually make that contact with Harry Kane. Though. Harry Kane makes that contact with Emmy Martinez, and so he's yeah. so he's forced that con- uh, he's he's forced that contact. Harry Kane is. I, I'm a bit. I don't understand how. I don't know how it can be a foul though because he's initiated it. Harry Kane has. So I'm a bit confused by it. like Martinez isn't. He's entitled to go for the ball. He's not like he's going to, oh, I can't slide in because there's a Spurs player running onto it. I, mm. I find it odd. I find that bit odd, number one. And I find it odd how that's just now accepted that that's penalty or a foul because I just think, well, he's initiated that contact. It's basically it's basically simulation. It's in a different way, but it's essentially simulation, isn't it? Because you've, uh, you've made that happen. So that, that's, that's number one. I don't really understand that. But if that's the rule, then that's unfortunately it's going to be another rule which I just don't understand. But then number two, and this was the main thing for me, was that the longer it went on, you knew he was going to get sent to the monitor. But for me, what do we keep saying? What do we keep saying? We always say it won't get overturned unless it's a clear and, unless it's a clear and obvious error. Now, clear and obvious to me, you watch it once or you watch it twice, 
it's 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 clear and obvious. It's obvious. It's obvious that the referees made a mistake. It, it should only literally take you um, like seconds from it, thirty seconds max. Well, the decision yesterday yeah. took what three four minutes, um, and then the referee was finally sent over to the monitor, and then obviously you knew what was going to come there. He wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna overrule what Jared Gillett was saying in, in VAR. But for me, I feel like VAR had moved away from this a little bit this season. I mean, when it was first introduced, everyone was talking about how. Every single decision was under the microscope and it was taking absolutely ages because they were over-analyzing everything. Well, I feel like in, in praise of VAR, that had improved. It has improved and we don't see a lot. I don't think we've seen a lot of that this season, if I'm being honest. I think we, they do very quick checks and it's over and you know we, we crack on sort of thing. But yesterday that was different um, and, it, and it just baffled me that while we were looking at a, a penalty decision for for four minutes, pretty much. And and I know people say that it was because they were looking at the offside thing as well. But again, we've got that technology where you can decide an offside, you, you can tell whether someone's offside within a matter of seconds again. So again, I go back to the question, why did it take four minutes? It, it wasn't a clear, it wasn't a clear and obvious error, was it? You know, obviously, you, you have, everyone has their own thoughts on whether it was a penalty or not, whether Harry Kane simulated it or whether you know whether he initiated that contact with Martinez which I think he personally did it wasn't a clear and obvious error from the referee was it and uh, and I and it and it just disappointed me that, that that it was given I just felt that you've gone away from everything that you've done on VAR this season um the improvements that you've made in certain areas of VAR you've just sort of gone back on it this afternoon and uh and it, and it felt like it was a bit of an easy decision to give and and I think my criticism was that all afternoon, Peter Banks, the referee, was he was he was constantly waiting to blow that whistle all afternoon. I said to you about the one where Bissouma slipped over. No one was anywhere near him. That was a he joke. just slipped, and the yeah, Spurs were given a free kick. And fans, you know, however many hundreds of feet away could see it, but then the referee right by it couldn't see that, and he just felt like he was desperate to blow his whistle constantly all the time yesterday. So yeah, I was frustrated. I was really frustrated by that decision. Um, and I just hope it doesn't come back to, to haunt us, which it could do. And Harry Kane was in the referee's ear all afternoon, by the way, as well. Which He knows what he's doing, doesn't he, Harry Kane? He knows what he he's doing. Um, so, yeah, I, I felt really disappointed by it, if I'm being honest. And it just took a slight bit of glass off the victory, which 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 is frustrating. I'm quite conscious that we, we moan and, and talk about referees pretty much every week on this podcast. We don't like doing it. It's just, no. it's just what happens. And la- last little thing from me is that I, I don't understand what the role of the assistant referee in Stockley Park is. Is he there to be act as another referee or is he there to assist the on-field referee? Because it feels like in these decisions where they go to the monitor and things like this, the initial referee's decision is never taken into account. It's sort of like, right, this is a clean slate. Let's see what happened. It's like, well, no, go back to it. He didn't give a penalty. So, you know, take that into account and there should be a clear and obvious error because he's seen it. He's made the decision. Is there a problem with it? I don't know what in that three or four minutes where everybody stood still, no one knows what's going on. What are they talking about? Because the assistant referee, the VAR, should see that once. They don't have to make a decision. They All they have to do is be like, right, is there a cause for sort of the on-field uh, referee to look at it again? That's what they have to do. They don't have to look at it for four minutes. That's not their job. The, the on-field referee is the one who's making the decision. He's the one who's looking at it on the monitor. He's the one who's making the decision. 
So the VAR just doesn't need to talk for four minutes. I, I don't understand what they were talking about for three or four minutes. Absolutely bizarre. And you're right, all afternoon, really, really strange decisions. People falling over, sort of, you know, shoulder to shoulder, not even fouls, really, really soft. They were just being given both ways as well. Like, it, it was just it was just bizarre. Don't like talking about referees, but way too soft in this country and in the Premier League, way too soft. I think they, I think they pick and choose what they overanalyze on there as well. Like how many times do we see like a call for a penalty or something and it gets and it just gets waved away straight away and it doesn't checks over. That's what you hear on TV, don't you? Or well, the checks over. And it's like Oh, okay, that's that's strange because like that Wolves one, so quick, just check it over really quickly, and and I mean like that that's great a lot of the time it lets the game flow, but then like yesterday like oh oh actually we were going to overanalyze this one though we're going to spend a good four minutes on this one and it just the consistency and it just doesn't it doesn't feel it doesn't it doesn't feel like quite quite right to me and. Like I say, it wasn't that obvious that you needed to overanalyze it. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, if the referee got like a major, major, and you thought, oh, what's the referee talking about here? That's definitely a penalty. Nobody was saying that. Everyone was going, oh, did he get the ball? Did he not get the ball? And did it... So yeah, it wasn't yeah. obvious, was it? It clearly wasn't obvious. So they need to redefine what this obvious thing means because, well, I don't understand it, and I don't think most <laughs> people do. So, yeah, a little bit of clarification, please, because it's really, really frustrating. Oh, it's nonsense. Last little thing then. I was watching Real Madrid versus Man City in the Champions League last week, and the ref, I loved him. What a bloke. I think he was Italian. So refreshing. He took absolutely no nonsense. He was prepared to stand up to players shouting in his face. He'd shout back. And just he wouldn't give these, you know, stupid little niggly challenges or where someone's shoulder barged someone or where someone, two players have gone up for a header and someone's fallen over or someone challenging the goalkeeper from a corner and he ends up on his ass. He didn't give stupid fouls like that. And it was so refreshing to see that referees not taking any nonsense or, you know, not did everything by the letter of the law. Like go back to Old Trafford when we went there where Casemiro went straight through the back of Jacob Ramsey and he didn't get booked. And it's just like, why are you doing that? Just because we're five minutes into the game. Yeah. Arsenal Brighton today where Martinelli goes jumping into um, someone with his hip and that's not a foul again probably because it's early on in the game it's like yeah. come on and then it's it's so ref- and then there's the one on Martinelli a few minutes later in the game today as well which was again a definitely a booking that challenge from oh, I can't remember who the player was for Brighton but again that one because it's early in the game he doesn't get yellow carded for it just no consistency it's like if it's a yellow card offence yellow card offence simple as that but yeah, it does yeah. feel like we moan about referees a lot, which I don't like doing. But... We have to. We don't have a yeah. choice because we go week in, week out, and it's just absolute yeah. dross from the officials every week. Yeah. It's the standard, though, isn't it? It's the standard of refereeing, and we've said it for a long time. The standard of refereeing in this country is not its just not good enough. It really is not good enough. Um, it's, it's, just, it's concerning, isn't it? It is indeed. Anyway, let's look ahead to next week. Just go back to that, though. It did take a little gloss off it, because if that goal difference comes into it at the end of the season, oh, I'm going to be seething. Anyway, Liverpool, big game next week, mate. Bryson winning, of course, against Arsenal this weekend. Like I said at the top of the show, kind of feels like that straight-up shootout. But then that Brighton last game of the season, what do you reckon we need from now then? Do you reckon one win will do it? Do you reckon four points? Do you think we need to win both games? What do you think? Well, it's hard, isn't it, really? I think one win could do it for you. Um, I think four points is likely to do it for you. Um, and I think two wins, you guarantees you it. Because I think I, I don't think Spurs will take maximum points from the two games, if I'm being honest. I don't think they will. And the one I'm looking at, I don't think they'll take maximum points away at Leeds on the last day. So it's going to go to the last day, the relegation battle. You don't want to be going there on the last day. Um, I don't think they'll take. I don't think they'll take maximum points from that game against Leeds. To be honest, next week against Brentford for Spurs, that's a bit. 
bit bit different, I suppose. They're at home. You could kind of say it was like the Crystal Palace game the other week. Um, although mm-hmm. the one thing I would say, though, Brentford, we keep saying it, Brentford are probably on the beach, but I don't think they are, though. They keep churning out these victories. Um, and again today, they... They're yeah, playing with freedom. Playing with freedom, they? They comfortably dispatched West Ham today, 2-0. Um, and so they're not, they're probably not playing playing on the beach, to be fair. They're, they're still they're still going for it, um, which might play into our hands a little bit. And Brentford are a good side. We know that. They are a good side. And so, I mean, you'd love it, wouldn't you, if they could go to Spurs next week and get something and we could just get anything at, at Liverpool um, and then take it through till the last day. That That's what you'd absolutely love. Look, it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. And as I said at the start of the podcast, I think we're probably the outsiders still with our fixtures. Uh, you don't, I mean, you don't want to be going to Anfield at any time of the year, really, especially how they play at Anfield. And so it's mm. going to be really hard for us next Saturday. But look, we'll give it a go. We're in, we're, we're in, there's no pressure on us, though, is there? There's no pressure. Let's just try and go and play our own game and try and get something out of these two games. Um, but yeah, in terms of what do we need... Don't know really. Like I say, what we definitely want, definitely need one win at least. Um, but that might only we might only need one. We might need four. If you get six, I think we definitely get it. So let's just see what happens. Oh, I've, I've got it. I was saying it to a few people after the game yesterday. Like I've got a decent feeling about next week, and it's I'm not expecting anything. I've ju- I've just got a feeling. I think I watched Liverpool last week against Brentford at Anfield. I don't think they were great. Um, obviously, they're playing on Monday night against Leicester, so we'll have to we'll have to take a little bit from that. But I think away from home, sort of, we're playing with that freedom as well, where there's sort of no expectation. Liverpool depends what happens against Leicester on, on Monday night, but they could potentially get Champions League football. I think they're one point behind Man United, but United have got a game in hand uh, because they've lost a couple of games. So, be interesting to see what happens. I'm not totally convinced by Liverpool. They sh- they've shipped a yeah. few goals recently at Anfield as well, even to the likes of Forest, mm-hmm. who have had a, a horrendous away record this season. So, I don't think that's a write-off. People were saying on my video in the comment section, like, okay, you know, we'll defeat Anfield and then we'll take it to Brighton. But I don't think it's a write-off. No, I absolutely don't. You know, with, with our away record as well, I don't think you can write off write off anyone and how, how we played against Tottenham at the weekend as well. I'm not like I said, I'm not expecting anything going into Anfield. I just wouldn't be surprised, you know, if we turn up and do something there. It'd be amazing if we did. It would be incredible if we did because well, if we did, I'll go as far to say if we went to Anfield next week and got a win, for instance, I'd go as far to say that we'll get Europe because I just think, you know, we'll end up on the final day of the season knowing that. We just need some kind of positive result to, to see us through. So it's a really big game. It's a big cup, like a cup final for us. A tough game because they're a great side at Anfield. But as you say, they can be got at. Um, so let's go there with a little bit of confidence. The boys are still playing well. And the only two defeats we've had, I mean, very narrow defeats, where which we should have probably taken a point from each of those games at least. And so full steam ahead this week with confidence. And let's hope we can come up with some sort of game plan to, to frustrate Liverpool and come out with a decent positive mm. result. Look, we'll be at Anfield next week. I'm buzzing for it. It should be a sunny one as well. And I'm just sort of picturing that last game of the season against Bryson where it's all set up, sort of winner takes all and it's a sunny day at Villa Park, bank holiday, the sun's out, flag streamers, beer, the atmosphere will be incredible. And again, games like that, I can't see past Villa. So do you know what? We'll end on a a positive note. We'll end on a positive note and sort of good vibes only. We said it this time last week, didn't we? Good good vibes only. Take every game as it comes and just enjoy the ride essentially. Yep. And that's, it. that's exactly what I've been saying for the last couple of months or so, really. Let's just take each game as it comes, one game at a time, and we'll see where we end up because we've had a terrific, uh, we've had a terrific second half of the season under Emery, um, and it won't be a, it won't be a failure if we don't get Europe, but it'll be an absolute almighty no. success if we do. Um, so yeah, full full positivity going going into it, and uh, yeah, just really really chuffy where we are, really. 
Yeah, of course. You've got to be, haven't you? Enjoy the ride, Villa fans. Enjoy it because it's going to be one hell of an end to the season if it goes right for Villa. It's going to be good. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe everywhere. Whatever you're listening on, Spotify, Apple, please do uh, subscribe so you never miss an episode. Please do leave a review actually as well. They are massively appreciated. Go and subscribe uh, to Villa on Tour on YouTube. Go and check out the Tottenham video if you missed that. It's a good one, of course. And we shall see you next week at Anfield. Up the Villa. Thank you.